Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm just struck this morning by, we sung about God being worthy of praise. And it's like, no, even if it's, if you feel victorious or you feel defeated, whether there's something in your life that's hard, God is always praiseworthy. He's always good. Quite often, I can lose sight of that. We can lose sight of that because of the things of our lives that happen. So let's look to him this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us your love, your salvation, for giving us one another, that we can encourage and build each other up in faith to keep on going, to keep on trusting, no matter how we feel, no matter what's happening in the world around us, that we can look to you. And there's always a cause for rejoicing and celebration in our Savior who loves us. There's always something good there. Uh, in you, because you are only good. And Lord, forgive me when I don't, um, I lose sight of that, and I don't thank you for all the things that you've done, and all that you promised to do, when I don't trust you the way I should. Lord, I pray you would use this message to minister to hearts, to touch us where we need, to direct us, and to change our perspective for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1 today. One of the chief aims of people is really happiness, their own personal happiness. And the trouble is, the feelings of happiness, they go. They don't stay. Uh, because we're fickle creatures, even the thing that makes us happy one day might be annoying the next. Um, and and I, I was reminded while we were singing of the cycle of happiness that I, I have been on in the past, where I would finish work when I was in the States. I'd finish work. It's like, all right, it was a tough week, but I'm part of a bowling team. And uh, that's something to look forward to. And then we were terrible, and I was awful, and I was unhappy with my performance. But there were at least rolled tacos. So I kind of look forward to, to a nice, after just after you've been drubbed, you can go at least have some good food. And then it was like, well, at least, it was always this at least, at least Sunday there's going to be a couple of games on and, and that'll be fun. And then your team just stinks. And you're like, ah, oh. and it, this whole weekend was a waste. You know, I, there were the world tacos, but there were all these things that happened that were just a bummer, bummer after bummer. And, uh, but the thing is, even when things were great, that feeling didn't last because I was looking for it again. Even after the big win, hey, you still have tomorrow. And, and the bad feelings and the disappointments will come. I've heard it said that happiness depends on what happens. And that's true, that we have a transient happiness that we're all looking for, but it will not last. Even when you get what you are looking for, at some point, the feelings will fade. And this perfect happiness without pain and disappointment is not possible on earth. It's really only possible in the presence of our Lord. So in Colossians 3, we're going to see that the greatest happiness that we could experience in life is just a shadow of the substance that is in Christ. It's like that, that, that greatest joy that you can have in life that's fleeting and passing. That's just a hint of what we have in Jesus Christ because of his grace and his goodness. The world says to esteem self, 
The tradition of men is to love and to live for self. The principles of the world is to assert yourself. But God says that we ought to esteem him, to love God, to humble ourselves before him in faith. And that's where we find joy that trumps this transient happiness that we're all looking for. Just to set the stage, Paul had told believers in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. It's so important to know we are complete in Jesus. We are, com we are whole in him, that there's, there's nothing beyond him that we need because he supplies everything for us. He is everything for us. It proves that all the world can offer you, it's nothing that you need because he is everything. And Jesus isn't just supposed to fill the empty parts of your life or to fill up what the world can't supply but to be your all in all and sometimes we look for him to just fill those gaps where we go from happy thing to we, we seek the happy thing and when that doesn't do it for us we look to God but if he's our all in all all the time then the disappointments that crush us they won't because we're looking to him we're firmly fixed upon him so Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We live on earth. A lot of our activities involve earthly things. And our thoughts and our efforts are directed. So it's, it's quite common that we would be thinking about worldly things and earthly things. And a lot of our life is spent in preparation for our earthly future. Like you have an education. You go to school so you can land the spot in uni, so you can have a career, so you can support yourself and a family. You can have transport. And there's all these things that we're looking for. Um, but instead of being a means to an end, those can be our end. Trying to find happiness in that career, in that relationship. We can find our identity in these things rather than Jesus Christ. And we start to live for family or weekends or that fun thing that we look forward to. Where at least things will be better at some point. And, uh, so, but, but always on the temporal not looking to Christ. It's funny how we can spend a lot of time researching something we want to buy, finding the best deal, the best product. And you can do hours of research. You finally buy the thing and you're happy because you have it. But guess what? At some point, that happiness fades and it's on to the next thing. And the cycle's just perpetuated. That happiness is strangely elusive. Like the one thing that you really look forward to doing or having, it's over and it, things get old. And, but then we're looking to that next thing. Oh, this is better. It's a new model. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. In Christ, we've died to the world. We've died to the law of Moses. We've died to the traditions of man and the opinions of others. 
the shackles of materialism are gone, and now we've been raised to new life through faith in Jesus. We're not to allow the world to enslave us, our own flesh, and the desires that we seek because we serve Jesus and we're complete in him. It says, we are to seek those things which are above where Christ is. And so what are we supposed to be seeking then? Well, all that we find in Jesus. Heaven is not heaven because it has streets of gold or it's far away or that's where angels hang out. It's heaven because God is there and it's a perfect place where his presence dwells. Free from the corruption of sin, where the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, grace, mercy, compassion, these are, this is what you find in the presence of God. This is what's in him. Forgiveness, redemption. We have this eternal future and hope in Christ. And Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, this alludes to Psalm 110, which proclaims God's power, promises that Jesus will always be our high priest, that he will judge his enemies, and that he will be exalted over all. So even when the enemy seems to be strong and the world is, is running away from God, Jesus is on the throne. He will judge his enemies, and he is exalted forever. Instead of being focused on things of the earth, our feelings going like this because things are good or things are hard, we can be fixed upon Christ, who is exalted always. Knowing that we're complete in Christ is huge. It's like, do you really believe that? That you're complete in him? You look at the things that you're lacking or you see lacking in your life. Do you know that Jesus, he meets that need? that seems so unmet in your life? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. After you're born again, you continue to live in the same body. You looked pretty much the same. There was probably a change of your countenance, though, because now you had joy where there was only sorrow and grief and guilt and shame, and now we've been free. So that, that lifts us, right, to know that. But you still live in the same body uh, that's, that's growing older. We look like everybody else. If you were in a lineup and you said, which of these is the one filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's just a mug shot, uh, yeah, I, you, you'd have to guess. You wouldn't know. Colossians 2.12, it says, We were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And that when Jesus returns, we will appear with him in glory. And that sounds a bit far-fetched, right? That we would be glorified. But um, turn to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Our identity, it's like right now you're a secret agent. Now, we're not supposed to live as Christian secret agents, like in hiding, hiding our true identity as followers of Christ that we have been born again, that's something we should be very open with. But as far as the world is concerned, they have all sorts of opinions about what Christians are and what we believe. But there will be a day when it's like the shackles of this human flesh are going to come off and they will see the work that Jesus Christ has done by raising us to new life. That transformation that's happened inside of you that doesn't all, it's not always on display. It will be displayed for all creation to see. 
Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Before my sons were born, I was really looking forward to meeting them, to holding them, to having a life together as they grew in Laura's womb. And my parents were excited. My brother and my sister, the whole family was really excited about the future that there was going to be new life brought into our family, into the world. This verse says that all creation, it looks forward to the day when Jesus will be revealed with his redeemed children who are glorified with him. Matthew Henry wrote, It will be his glory to have his redeemed with him, and it will be their glory to come with him. Do we look for such a happiness? And should we not set our affection upon that world and live above this? Our head is there. Our home is there. Our treasure is there. And we hope to be there forever. When Jesus appears in glory, we, as his church, will be appearing with him, revealed in glory, which is remarkable and amazing. Do you allow the good things in your life to overshadow heaven? It's not just in moments of sorrow or grief where heaven should be appealing to you, but when life is at its best, when you're like, it just cannot get any better than this. Maybe you've never had that, but you have moments. You may have a moment of bliss or triumph or like, oh, they finally won. I've been waiting 30 years for my team to win the, the premiership and we won. And that was a great moment. And when I hit a hole in one of... Uh, Last year, I think it was last year, I was ecstatic. I was just like, wow. That, that was really cool. Like, I played golf for a long time and at a pretty average level. And to hit a hole-in-one was really fun. And it was hard to wipe the smile off my face for days. I was happy. But the truth is, when I, was at, when I am at my happiest, when life is at its best, and things like nothing could knock me off of this great feeling that I'm having right now, Know that that is nothing compared to heaven and the presence of the Lord. And we don't have to wait for that because Ephesians tells us we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ right now. We have his presence. We're abiding in him and he in us. And so there's this joy that, that we can be robbed of. We rob ourselves of when, when we seek happiness on the the horizontal level or on the earthly level, when he has a whole nother level that he has provided through Christ. We are complete in Christ and our joy is full in him. And yes, we suffer tribulation and difficulties now. He's told us about that, but not as people without hope because we have hope in heaven reserved for us that fades not away. We look to him. Not just when things are bad, but when things are great. And say, man, I know this feeling, it's not going to last. I'm not going to buy that lie that I can just find this here on earth and that this is all that's worth living for. It's in him because that's where I'm complete, in Christ. 
because I have redemption, salvation, glorification with him. So don't let this life, even the good things of this life, rob you from the joy that's in Christ. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you live in them. Having been raised to new life in Christ, we're to put to death the old ways of living. We're dead to sin. Sin is also dead to us. When something's dead to you, it cannot wield any power or authority over you. When that cruel dictator faces the justice for his crimes against humanity and he is no more, the people rejoice because he has no power to afflict or oppress them anymore. They don't have to keep those terrible inhumane laws that they were commanded to before. God does this work by grace, this putting to death your members, this uh, forgiving us from sin and taking the power of sin from us. But there's also our part in being uh, yielded and obedient to God's leading in this, to put it into practice. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Just for sake of example. You've heard of someone who had a partner who was abusive and violent and perhaps uh, a drug addict and, and psychotic. They tried to murder their spouse. And so that relationship was cut off when the person went to jail. And uh, what would you say to somebody if, upon their release, the victim comes to you and says, you know, they've been calling me a lot. I feel kind of like we should get back together. And you're like, don't you remember what it was like when you were afraid from your life, for your life? When you, you were scared to death and you were under that yoke of bondage, you were so glad to be free from it. And in fact, remember that you sought to cut out every evidence of this person from your life. You photoshopped those pictures, you took him out. Those, those keepsakes and mementos that reminded you of that abuse, you've gotten rid of those. But now that he's coming back and he's sweet-talking you, are you going to fall for that when he hasn't changed? We would, say, we would put our foot down and say, no, he's dead to you. You need to walk away from that. And if he's, he's coming after you, you need to take out an AVO or something. You need to be protected. Now, Paul is saying that we need to take even more drastic measures against sin in our life than just getting it away from you. You have to kill it. Now, if you said, oh, man, you're going to have to kill that guy. That would be a crime, right? The stalker, you know, kill the stalker. I'm not going to ever say that's good. <laughs> Someone's stalking you, you don't kill them. But he's saying the sin that plagued you, the sin that oppressed you, kill it. Put it to death. You need to treat it with, with violence in your life. You have to get it out. Put it away from you. And he points out some sins that need to be executed. Fornication, adultery, lust, illicit desires. So that's not to govern us anymore. We're not to be shackled by the things we used to indulge in, whether it's flirting or pornography or hookups. And he says, get rid of all that greed and covetousness and idolatry. 
Have you seen those TV shows or movies where the son's left home and he comes back and his mother says, I've left it just how you did? Like she's awaiting his return. And it's like sin has long lived in our life. It's been our buddy since infancy. And we've always hung together and been cool. Not really. But we knew each other, and, but we were in bondage. Jesus has come into our life. He set us free. The shackles are gone. That room is not to be left the way it was. It's to be changed. And when that, person, when that sin comes back into your life and wants to rise up, you have authority in Christ to just say, no, you have no business being here. You're an unwanted intruder. You have no right to be in this home. You have no right to be in my head or in my heart because that's now the residence of my Savior. Paul reminded the believers, hey, the wrath of God is coming upon the world because of these sins. So don't do them. Put to death that sin in your life. Kill them off. Christ is your life now. You're not to walk in that worldly way anymore. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. All that marked the old life, the sinful ways of living, they should be put off. Just like a late night chat with your ex-lover when you found Mr. Right. Like, you don't dabble with the old boyfriends or girlfriends when you're engaged to somebody else to be married. That's just not right. Maybe it's a guy thing. Uh, you guys can help me with this. I still wear clothes long after Laura would have pitched them. Maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe I'm a slob. But it's like, hole in a sock? No problem. Put it on the other foot. Elastic waistband getting a little loose. Ah. Holes in your shirt? Well, they are now demoted to work clothes. So there's this graduation. Like, instead of just chucking out like a stain, it's like, well, I'll just wear that around the house. I won't wear that out. Like, oh, there's a stain on your shirt. Oh, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Anger, blasphemy, filthy language, lies. They're not to be folded up and put in the bureau for those dirty jobs. They're to be thrown in the bin, not repurposed for something. That malice, that deep-seated anger we have, that we've harbored, the cursing, the lies, vile conversations, those are like oily sweatpants and t-shirts that are not to be repurposed to wash the car. Nobody should be using those. Certainly not us. So those need to be thrown in the bin and say, no, that's not the way that I deal with things anymore. Because Christ is my all in all and he is my righteousness. And therefore, I, by his grace, seek to walk righteously. As children of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He convicts us of sin. He shows us when we're doing the wrong thing. Even when it's not illegal or even immoral by the world's standards, the Lord will convict you of your attitude, about the, your motive of why you said that thing. 
And sometimes God will use other people to make us aware of faults. We were eating at a restaurant the other day, and after uh, I got home, I was told, hey, you got a bunch of, like, sauce on your face. I didn't know I had sauce on my face, but I'm like, oh. It, it helps to have another pair of eyes that are looking at your life. And do you resent people who tell you, man, you got a little sauce on your face, that when you went to the toilet, that, that toilet paper tail that inadvertently got tucked into your pants? You want somebody to tell you about that. Not be horrified. I've actually seen that before. I was not so kind to actually say something to the person, but said, dude, check that out. But that's not loving. The loving thing is to remove the thing or to tell the person. And we can resent people who have correction from the Lord. So let's be those who receive that and rejoice in it. Because if someone loves, loves God and loves me, and they come to me with that heart, even if, they're being if I feel like they're being rude, we should receive that joyfully. Having put to death what's of the earthly nature and put, on that, put off that old man, we are enabled by God's grace to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Who has created us? Jesus. Because without him, nothing was made that's made. It says that in John 1 verse 3. Verse 10, it says, the new man is renewed in knowledge. This renewal, it's like a major renovation. A house that sat empty and cold and leaky for years under new ownership, sweeping renovations happen because someone wants to live in there. And they get the new roof put on and they put down new carpet or, or tile. And they'll, they'll fix all the gaps where the, the rats and the, the bugs were getting in. When we are born again, it's not our physical appearance that changes radically, but it's in our conduct, in our words, in our affections. Jesus does this work in us. He transforms us. And this renovation takes place according to the knowledge of the Scripture. The Bible gives us that plan for how we are to order our lives. A homeowner knows that houses require regular maintenance, right? Um, if you see water coming through the ceiling, well, you should do something about that. You shouldn't just wait and go, wait, maybe it'll just go away. You know, when the, the rats are having a conga line up above your bedroom, those are not just going to go away. You probably have to do something about it, right? Stop up the gaps, cover the dog food, make sure that you've taken some steps to help out. Landscaping, it's all part of owning a home. Our aim as following Jesus is not for self-improvement, that we would clean up our image, but change according to our intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ, since it's the Holy Spirit that's filling us. And our life is to reflect his love. We talked about in that song that I've built my life upon his love. God is love. He is a firm foundation, and we are to walk in his love and trust him that he will enable us to make those necessary changes in our lives. There's this, I guess, tension between the things that God does and how we are to cooperate and be obedient to him. Able School recently introduced ties as part of the uniform. And uh, so Laura went to the 
the shop and she bought the correct tie, but he needed to learn how to tie it and he needed to remember to wear it. I can't be responsible for that. And so in the same way, Jesus has given us a new life. He's given us a new uh, way to live and to think that's through love and not law. And we are responsible to walk in his ways and to be obedient to him because he's helping us. He leads us and guides us. And it's a learning process of what that looks like. I wasn't aware of this. I looked up several sites um, that society in Australia is divided into five classes based upon, uh, and I, this probably is just theoretical, but there's five, five classes based upon basically the amount of money you make. So your earnings, your, your earnings, they weigh into that. Roman culture was very different than our Western culture because there was very limited social mobility. Most people remain in a class their whole life, and you're either from the noble or the um, aristocracy, that ruling, noble, wealthy class, and a plebeian class, which was the peasants, the workers without land or any rights at all. Uh, and if you were born into a family of slaves, you were a slave. And it was very difficult, though possible, to move out of that sphere of being a slave. But basically, you were in a particular class and you were stuck there. Imagine the shock when you read, from that mindset, what Paul says here, that in Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. What if someone said there is no indigenous Australian, there is no American, there's no college graduate or illiterate, there's no liberal or labor, there's no meat eater or vegan, but Christ is all and in all. That would be, we'd be like, wow, how is that possible? It's very natural for us to identify with ethnicity, social status, background, career, hobbies. These are the things that can draw people together. But Jesus Christ makes all believers one and on equal footing. There were times when the church was persecuted. I read of a case where a slave was martyred along with her master. Both of them died for Christ. And in that day, they were on equal footing because they were in him. When a, and what a, what a picture, right, of the master and the slave being together and following Jesus. Jews and Greeks, both accepted by God without preference through Christ. Barbarians, they were those who didn't speak Greek. The Scythians, they were nomadic savages. They were people that, they were fighters and people were afraid of them. So to say they're all one in Christ was, it was a revelation. Being born free or being born a slave, it wasn't a source of pride or shame because Christ is all and in all. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Whole new identity. Whole new way of reaching God, because we were unable to before. And all who trust in Christ, they are accepted by him, regardless of social standing or accent. 
or family history, Jesus trumps all distinctions that we have as human beings because we are one in him. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Because of who we are and who God has created us to be in Christ, we are to put on the new man which resembles him. All those who are born again are the elect of God. If you've, if you've chosen to trust and follow Jesus, it's because he has first chosen you. Uh, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, 16, and 17, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus has elected us. We choose to follow him. Yesterday, we had a federal election. Many people were elected. They were chosen by the people. Now it's up to the politician, the elected official, if they will be sworn in and fulfill that role according to how, how they are supposed to by law. It's the same for us. Yet we're not elected by God because of our uh, skill, our knowledge of law, or our experience because we're, we're the incumbent. God separated us because he's good and he loves us. We are his beloved. He's chosen us. Have you guys ever won a raffle? You were, ha you were really happy that there were thousands or hundreds of little tickets that went in and your ticket came up and you got that prize and you're like, right on. My ticket was chosen. That was at random. Now, how much better is it to have been chosen intentionally by God, especially in light of who you were and who you are, that he would choose you? And that he'd say, you, come follow me. Follow me. And you choose if you want to follow him or not. And you can choose the way that you're going to follow him. If you're going to stay close by him, be attentive to what he's saying, or be a bit distracted, forgetful. And we're all a bit distracted and forgetful. But this new man, we, we get a picture of what this looks like. The new man's clothed with tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Can you imagine this being a platform for an elected official? They say, what's your qualification? Well, merciful, kind, humble, meek. Long-suffering, I'm a forgiver. Like, no, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a platform that anybody goes by. But that's how Jesus came to us. This, this, is, this marks him, and it ought to mark our lives too. The world does not value this. The world does not value you being a forgiver or showing mercy or kindness. They see that as being weak or being a pushover. But it's not. This is what God has called us to. Sometimes we can be easily offended by Christians because we have an expectation that they should know better. But hasn't Jesus continued to be gracious to us? Like, we need to give grace to, to Christians and non-Christians, those who follow Christ and those who are wandering. This bearing with one another, it means to put up with, 
or to suffer. Like, I have suffered him for a long time. <laughs> that sounds great. But see, it's, it's not a drudgery. The flesh sees it as a drudgery. But see, God's given us the Holy Spirit. And he's placed his love within you that you can love that person who has even offended you. And that's the work of his spirit in your life. Praise God for when that is occurring. Instead of complaining, we ought to forgive. It says, if anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So God's telling us what we must do, and that's to forgive. Jesus set the standard for how we forgive others. Remember when Jesus told Peter, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you'll have denied me. You'll have denied me three times before the rooster crows. Peter did deny Jesus three times. He went out and wept bitterly. And when they, were, when they met again, Jesus did not apologize. He did not demand that Peter apologize. He did not avoid him. He didn't remind him of how badly he had messed up. He didn't give him the silent treatment or say, I told you so. He didn't bring it up at all. But Peter knew he was forgiven because Jesus sought him out. Jesus spoke to him. He was kind to him. And then he said, you follow me. You feed my sheep. He, he welcomed him back and said, come on back, Peter. With no mention of what had happened. He loved and valued Peter as a disciple and a friend. And that's how we should treat others who have offended and hurt us even. Forgiving them as Jesus has forgiven us. Verse 13, excuse me, 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul explained how God's love trumped all spiritual gifts. That if he had the gift of prophecy and all knowledge, without God's love, it was like a clanging brass. Uh, and if he had all knowledge and faith, without love, he was nothing. He says, I'm nothing without God's love. And even if he gave all his money to the poor and, and was burnt in the flames as a sacrifice, he said, it would profit me nothing without love. Without love, it's all worthless. God's love is the bond of perfection. That word bond, it's like ligament, the ligament of love that holds believers in perfect alignment with the head because we're all part of his body. And it's love that links us together, that connects us, that keeps us in that proper alignment with God. I loved looking into this because ligaments, they're strong, connective tissue. It's a little flexible, but it restricts the movement of a joint. So I have ligaments in my, my elbow that keeps me from hyperextending my elbow and doing damage. It, it gives, uh, these ligaments provide stability. And when I did my, my ACL, my right anterior cruciate ligament in my leg, I was told by the doctor and specialist, like, if you don't have that fixed, if you don't have a new ligament put in, you are, I'm guaranteeing you, you're going to have some severe arthritis in later years. So you need to get that ligament put in. Whenever we neglect to be united with the love of Christ, 
we bring pain on ourselves and bitterness because we're no longer aligned with him, our head. So this ligament, this love that's connecting us, it's to govern. So it's not a law that makes me like, okay, love one another. I have to do that like I'm following a law. Well, as I'm connected to Christ, my alignment with him is love, and that leads me in a gentle way into how to be loving to that person, and that's forgiving. It's one way to show love. Can you imagine having your head out of joint? One thing to, you know, put your shoulder out or your ankle, uncomfortable, but a head out of joint. Ooh, that sounds really bad, and it is. Not that I would know, personally. Um, but I do know how it is on the spiritual side of things, I guess, because I haven't always walked in love. But we're commanded to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. See, it says let, like allow this, choose this, desire this. The peace of God to rule in your heart to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. This peace, it's transcendent, this God-supplied tranquility, that's to rule or arbitrate any difference we have with others. If there's a disagreement, it's the peace of God that is to make the final decision because we are one with him. I have arthritis in a few joints in my fingers and back and give me pain and a bit of a bother. There's probably some arthritis sufferers out there. Um, but they're useful parts of my body, so I put up with them. I there are days where I think it's just better to cut off this finger than to have the pain, but, but it's part of my body, and so I will put up with it because it's still useful to me. The Christians that you find bothersome or a source of discomfort in your life, because this is the context here, that we would be forgiving and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, God's made us both one in him. And we're connected to the same head, and we're part of the same body. And there will be people that have different opinions and personalities than you, who see things differently, who have a different mindset about a lot of things. Instead of complaining about our physical arthritis all the time, we in that, that picture of complaining about that believer who's offended us or that's hurt us, who has called us pain, we're called instead to be thankful to God that we're connected to him and that we're one in Christ. Now, this is a great challenge, isn't it? To let the peace of God rule in your heart because there's a lot of conflict in the world. And there's even conflict among families and spouses and friends. But let the peace of God rule. Let that arbitrate. Let the love of the Lord guide you in how to navigate that, that you would harbor no resentment or unforgiveness toward that brother or sister. Now, there are occasions in a body where a toe or a foot becomes gangrenous, and it needs to be cut off. It needs to be removed. And in a church where there's someone who is in blatant sin, and they refuse to repent, like the blatant sin in, in 1 Corinthians, where there was this incestuous relationship in the church, there should be a process of church discipline that results if they refuse to repent in excommunication. But there's a huge difference between removal of a gangrenous limb and excommunication, because when that toe is cut off, that is hazardous waste and it's disposed of. But when that person 
is removed for the fellowship, it's with the aim for restoration, that they would repent and come back, be part of the body again, fully functional like before. So herein lies a great challenge, right? That we'd be loving towards the person who has stumbled and fallen, who's made a series of choices to walk away from the Lord. Verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to let Christ and the word of Christ, the Bible, to dwell in us richly in all wisdom. I like what Matthew Henry said. He, he wrote, It must dwell in us or keep house, not as a servant, but as a master. It must dwell in us, that is, be always ready and at hand to us in everything. I really like that because it's the scriptures to govern me. It's not for me to use as my servant to make others do what I think they should do. It's for God, it's God's word to tell me how I ought to live and how I ought to forgive and to seek restoration. Reading and meditating upon the scripture, memorization, those are good. Walking in light of what you read is better. That we would walk in light of the truth of God's word. There's great richness in his word, and the Lord teaches us what he teaches you, you can share with others. And this is awesome. I really love the picture of Ruth. So Ruth, she's a Moabitess. She comes back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. They both she had suffered the loss of her husband, Naomi, the loss of two sons and her husband as well. And they had land, but were very poor. And Ruth, she is a, a poor woman who went gleaning, and that's to pick up grain from the ground. As a foreigner, she had the right under law to do this. And so she was gleaning in Boaz's field, and Boaz happens to be a relative of the family. And he sees Ruth. And he knows about her piety, how she's chosen to follow the Lord, and how she's been loyal and supportive of her mother-in-law. And he pulls all his harvesters aside and says, look, don't give this woman any trouble. I want you to actually do a pretty bad job at harvesting. Let a lot accidentally fall so that she'll find it and pick it up. Let handfuls of purpose fall. I love how that says, how it says that. She, she's having this meal of roasted grain. He invites her for lunch, and he gives her some parched grain, and she eats it, and it says she saved some for her mother-in-law. And when she gathered up that whole bag full of grain, she took it back to her mother-in-law to share with her. And it's like when you choose to humble yourself, and you say, Lord, I want to be a hunter-gatherer, and I, I want to take some good stuff out of your word today because I need, to, I, I need your sustaining word. I need guidance in my life. And when you humble yourself to open the word, it's like God has scattered all these goodies that will be life-sustaining and helpful for you, not just for you, but so you can share it with others. And you can say, look what I found today. And they go, where have you gone? She goes to Naomi, and Naomi's like, man, the Lord has blessed you. Look at what you have. It's so amazing. Teaching is instructive. It's to put in mind this admonishing. It's to put in mind caution or gently warn. 
you may not think much of your singing, but when the Holy Spirit has filled you, joy seeks release in that way to thanksgiving, gladness of heart. God's given us grace, and we're to sing with grace, it says, in our hearts to the Lord, rejoicing in His favor and favoring Him. Thanksgiving, gratefulness, I think it's a great place to, to dwell and meditate on because it's a key theme in these last few verses. When you are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude, that is a satisfied and joyful feeling. When you were given a gift that you really appreciated, were you angry or frustrated or displeased in that moment? No, that like was foreign to your experience right then because you were filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And when we think of all that Jesus Christ has provided for us, that we are complete in him, in him, it, he is our all in all, and he's given all of himself for us, and we can come alongside him as his children, in whom will be revealed great glory. What thanksgiving and gratefulness we have toward him. Let's never lose the wonder and the gratitude that Jesus is our all in all, that we have peace with God, that we have been forgiven, that we will appear with him in glory. The pursuit of happiness, it provides no guarantee that you're ever even going to be happy. You can pursue it. Doesn't mean you'll ever find it. And even if you find it, it's not going to last. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. And those who pursue Christ, we have joy evermore because we are in him and he in us, and he is our all in all. Let's thank him. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus and for giving us new life, that you are our all in all, that you give us such wisdom and marvelous riches of your word. Help it to dwell richly in us. Help us to walk in your ways, Lord. Cause us to be those who who rejoice in what you provide and who rejoice to share it with others out of love, Lord, that we would be connected to you with, uh, with grace in our hearts toward you and towards others. I thank you for the body of believers that you've made us, Father. I thank you for sending the Spirit to fill us and unite us as one that all the ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds and all the divisions that we will make in this world to try to box people in. Lord, those are all broken down in your presence because you are God and we are yours. And Lord, I pray that you would minister grace to our hearts today, that you would change our perspective from worldly things that would put off the sin and would put on the new man that's created in righteousness. Thank you that there's a hope, a reality of new life in Christ today and for eternity. Help us to have eyes that look to you and that trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.